I know I look like him, but I am not Ricardo Stewart. And uh, I wish I looked like Ricardo sometimes. He's a good-looking man. <laughs> no, my name is Ryan Arneson. I'm one of the pastors here in, at Redemption Church in Tempe. Uh, let me give you a couple announcements really quick, and then we're going to get started. We mentioned last week that we were going to have an event here hosted by, well, we're going to host it. It's Arizona 127 event. It's Saturday, June 22nd in this sanctuary from 6 to 8 p.m. So if you want to be a part of that, register on the Redemption website, redemptionaz.com. And this is for families who are already approved for foster care or adoption in Arizona. If you're asking yourself, what is Arizona 127? That's a good question. I'm going to read you uh, the answer. It's a church-based movement aimed at engaging the local church in the Arizona child welfare system. AZ-127 was born out of a response to the current foster care crisis, but is built to be a long-term solution for our state's most vulnerable children and their families. So uh, if you're involved in this initiative, especially from the front end, this is a statewide initiative, so churches from all over the state are joining in on this. We really appreciate you. If you want to be a part of it, please do. We need leadership and, and people joining in on it. Uh, the second is, just to remind you, Ricardo is out of town right now. He is our lead pastor here in Tempe. He's usually the one speaking to us, but he's uh, suffering it up in Southern California. So we'll just be jealous for him, and uh, you can pray for him on your own time. So uh, just to give a brief description of Redemption Church, we are one church, multiple congregations throughout the state. We believe that all of life is all for Jesus which simply put, uh, just means that God is redeeming every area of life for his purposes and glory. So we're glad to have you here today. Happy Father's Day if you're here for the first time. Uh, I'm a little bit shorter winded maybe than Ricardo, so, uh, which will be great for fathers. Um, I will, uh, I'll be done pretty fast here. And, uh, you know, just to be honest, what do all fathers want on Father's Day? They want everybody to be quiet and leave me alone for one day, you know? So, uh, that being said, we're going to talk about circumcision today. How about that, huh? Okay. So, um, if you, uh, we're going to open up to Romans 2. If you need a Bible, one of the guys or gals will give you one. Raise your hand really high. I'm pretty sure it's page 611 that we're on. If it's not, it'll be really close to that. Uh, I wrote it down yesterday and then forgot where I put that. So, um, past few weeks, uh, Ricardo's been sharing with us out of chapter 2 of Romans and kind of It seems like we've been breaking down some of the religious confidence that the Jews would have uh, at that time in history. And and Paul seems to be, at this point, kind of hammering away at nominal or cultural Jews, which I think has pretty great implications toward us today, and uh, maybe some of the practices or beliefs that we would get into so um, let's, let's open up the, to Romans 2. I, let me pray for us, actually, before we get started here. Lord, thank you for being faithful to us 
Thank you for being kind to us. Lord, thank you that you can speak to us even at this time in, in history through a, through a letter that was written a couple thousand years ago. Really to talk about a subject that hasn't really taken precedence in our culture or even in our minds as, as Christians as much as it did back then. But Lord, you, you have things that, that you want to confront in us and things that we put our trust in that are outside of you, Jesus. So, Father, I just ask you that you prepare our hearts to receive what you are trying to say to us, what you want to say to us as we open up your scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Romans 25 should be up on the screen if you don't have a Bible anyway. Uh, For circumcision is indeed a value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. Okay, so if, if you read that text just at the beginning, and you are Jewish at that time period, first century, maybe in the church, or even if you heard about this argument, you might be saying to yourself, what, you know, what is Paul talking about? Like, isn't it Abraham who, or God said to Abraham a long, long time ago, hey, if you're not circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, then you'll be cut off from, from your people because you've broken the covenant. It's a pretty strong statement that's made right from the beginning. In fact, if we just back up in in history right, you know, maybe a couple hundred years before this, there there was a period of time where uh, from the time that these letters are written and even some of the Gospels uh, and the time that the last book that is in the Old Testament, Malachi, there's a time period of about 400 years right around there. And during that time, as... In a lot of times in history, the Jewish people are, are facing a, a, a period where people are trying to get rid of Jews and, and take over Jerusalem or that area of the world. Uh, pretty common thing throughout all of human history. This has happened uh, to the Jewish people time and time and time again. Well, in about the middle of the hundreds BC, there was a revolt by the Maccabee family. And it's commonly referred to as the Maccabean Revolt. Go figure. Uh, there was an empire that was trying to take over called the Seleucid. If I'm saying that wrong, you can come up and correct me later. But they're in a long list of people that tried to take over. So if I pronounce them wrong, uh, it'll only be ruining like 100 or 200 years of history or something like that. So... Um, Anyway, they were trying to take over, and the, and the Jewish uh, people, well, the Maccabees, they lived in Jerusalem, and then this guy, the father Maccabee, had about five sons. He moves out into the wilderness, essentially educates his five sons, and one of them comes back in and leads this revolt and, and, and takes over and begins to say, there has to be something, or and I'm sure there was a few things, but there was 
something that took over as the indispensable mark of what it means to be a Jew, and that was circumcision. In fact, they forced a lot of people to be circumcised. And so that became the mark of Jewishness once again. Now, you know, just by side note, I kind of wonder when I read some stuff about that, how did they know you know, was there like checkpoints in the city where you had to stop and it was like, all right, drop them, you know, or, or did you, you know, did your wife have to vouch for you? Or maybe you had a buddy that was there when you were circumcised or something like that. So that was kind of a interesting thought process as to how they would determine that. But it was so important that people were willing to die for it. And in fact, even even what it, there was a group of people referred to as Hellenistic Jews, which the Maccabees didn't really like. They they kind of felt like they sold out, and they like succumbed to like ridicule and criticism and began to like spiritualize all the Jewish institutions. But even some of them would hold on to circumcision and say, "Oh yeah, you know what? You need to be circumcised." So it was a big deal. And it carried on into Paul's time when he wrote this letter, where circumcision is still a big deal. In fact, he references uh, circumcision in several of his other letters. He, he refers to it as either circumcision, the circumcision, or the party of circumcision. So there's some people that were really hanging on to this still pretty tight. And he refers to it in his letters to the Galatians, the Philippians, the Colossians, Ephesians, Corinthians and his letter to Titus, and then not to mention a couple more times in Romans. So it seems like this is a pretty important issue uh, for Paul. So, you know, we're we're in this Romans series, and we've been in it for, I want to say, seven to eight. This might be the eighth week, and I think we're in it for like 70 weeks. So we're trying to catch up to John Piper, who preached it for like 10 years or something like that. So that's our competition right now. But... In that, Ricardo came to me and said, hey, would you want to preach on Father's Day? And I was like, oh yeah, that'd be great. You know, I'd, I'd love to, to talk on Father's Day. It'd be pretty awesome. He emails me the, the text and I didn't know what it was. And so I just see the Romans 2, 25 through 29. I'm thinking, ooh, what'll this be, you know? And I opened up and read it and I was like, are you kidding? <laughs> this only talks about circumcision, you know, like... And it's Father's Day. What are we going to do? Line everybody up. If you're not circumcised, today's the day. You know, like, we're having a ceremony right afterwards. And it'll be like Old Testament style, you know. The screams will be heard throughout the city, you know. That kind of deal. No, I I honestly started to think, what other scripture am I going to just, I'm just going to read this part and then jump over to some other scripture and start teaching. But the more I started thinking about it, the more I started to think, well, he's hammering home at a point that was really relevant at this time. And so I I was thinking, what would be some of those things that we would hang on to? You know, some of the practices or, or beliefs or cultural identities that Christians during our time, that if Paul was to come in and, and have a dispute with us, he might bring up some of these topics. So, uh, let me first start by saying, when I was in Tucson, uh, I'm going to bring up Tucson here, by the way. If everybody gets, I went to the U of A, 
So we have some popular things down in Tucson that we call education and sports. And uh, no, <laughs> I'm trying to get myself in trouble. Just a little, just a little. I'm, I'm sure Ricardo's not here today, so he can't, he can't actually yell back at me or something like that. But no, my wife and I, which, you know, I realize I haven't mentioned my wife. My, I, I am a dad as well. Uh, I have four kids. I have Abigail, Hannah, Ethan, and Mariah. My wife, Janet, and I have been married. We're in our 12th year of marriage. We met while we were in Tucson. We, we both went to the U of A and then both lived there for uh, quite some time afterwards. Um, my wife is probably my best friend. Quite frankly, uh, I wouldn't be a father if it wasn't for my wife, and neither would any of you that are fathers. So uh, maybe we should have two Mother's Days instead of uh, a Father's Day. No, uh, Father's Day is very, fathers are very important in our culture. And so go back. We're in Tucson. Uh, when I was in Tucson, it was about my junior year. Well, really it was a few years, but about my junior year is is when the, what I felt like was a a chasing from God uh, of of me, where I finally just said, "All right, I give." I'm, you know, like I'm I'm done running around doing whatever I'm going to do. And my wife had a somewhat of a similar experience, of, you know, within a year or two of me. And so we met at the U of A. And during right after the time that both of us graduated, we both felt this pull, like God wanted us to start sharing the gospel with other people on a more, what we would consider a full-time basis, where we we didn't have a job, uh, which I thought was a little bit strange at the time, to be honest with you, because you can't make a lot of money being a minister, and it's not really glamorous, or, you know, so I had to really consider, is that what I would want to do? But I was kind of one of those weird people anyway, right when I, you know, started following God. uh, it, It was like something happened to me, and all of a sudden there was this burden that I need to start talking to people about Jesus. So I was one of those weirdos that like, I would stop and help you change your tire and then be like, Hey, you know, Jesus, you want to know Jesus? You're going to heaven when you die, you know, like, or I'd be running in my neighborhood. I'd run past somebody, God loves you, you know, and, and keep going. And I, it's just, this like Christian burden that I had that, you know, if I don't say something, to every single human being on earth, it's my responsibility for why they're not going to go to heaven, you know? And that, that carried with me so much at the time that I, my only conclusion was, I got to be a minister and I got to tell everybody that I, that I can tell. So we, me right before, then my wife, we weren't married at the time, we met through this, but we joined the staff of a church in, in Tucson whose whole goal was to reach the University of Arizona with the gospel. And my job and her job was we're going to go out to the campus, talk to people that we don't know, and tell them about God and try and set up a Bible study or bring them to church. Well, in doing that, you tend to meet many other people that are also doing that and other Christian groups. And everybody has the same tendency to say, you know, what group is better or who's doing better or who handles the theology better or any of that kind of stuff. But everybody seemed to agree at the time that there was one particular group that was like way off. And, and they would preach that 
you can't be saved unless you're baptized, but not just baptized. You have to be baptized in their specific physical church, which was like, man, I don't think that's quite right. So I would have many discussions with them. In fact, one of them was my friend, his name was JJ. And it was like one of those kind of things where he just couldn't, it was like a stumbling block. He just couldn't get over it. You know, like uh, you had to be baptized in his church. And it was, it's always hard when you're, when you're in one of those positions where I'm thinking, I'm a minister and I'm out here with you and we're both sharing the gospel and you think I'm not saved because I haven't been dunked in water in your particular physical church. And, and it was like, how do, we, how do we get to places like that, you know? And so I, I began, as I talked to people this week, and as I've thought about actually for years, I wrote down kind of a list. And as I go, you're going to hear this list, and you're going to think of probably some other things that might come to your mind. But here's what a, the list that I came to that, that maybe we'd have issue with. My family is Christian, so I'm Christian. I was born Christian. America is a Christian nation. I'm a member of a church. I got baptized. I got baptized as a baby. I serve the poor. I read my Bible every day for one hour. I raise my hands in worship. By the way, if that's the case, then most people here are in real trouble. Um, I don't watch porn, and I'm part of eradicating sex slavery. I threw out all of my secular music CDs. Again, we might be in trouble. We, most of us here throw out our Christian CDs. So um, no, let, me, let me give you an example of that one, too. Um, when, again, when we were at this church in Tucson, there, there's, every once in a while there's movements throughout churches where somebody will get a really, really strong conviction, and then that strong conviction is put over the body of believers as the thing that you have to do or, or you're in trouble, you know, that kind of stuff. And so, and this is going to sound, you know, common if you grew up in church, but there was this wave of like, everybody throws out all secular music and all movies. We're just going to toss them like a book burning party type of deal. And so we had one of those in our church and man, I started tossing out like, all kind of stuff, you know, throwing stuff in the garbage. And then I went to sell some of it. And then I thought, is that right? Like, are you supposed to sell stuff that you want to throw away? Because you're not supposed to be looking at it, but you're going to get money so that other people can look at it. I, I just, so it was like, I would, you know, make $2 off a movie and then like go buy it back and throw it away, you know, or something like that. And so <laughs> it's an expensive ordeal to have a conviction that somebody else carries, you know? Um, but my wife had a pretty extensive, sorry, hon, if, I, I don't know where you're sitting, but you might be, I hope I don't embarrass you by this, but she had an extensive CD collection of really secular music. It was terrible. <laughs> and, uh, she really liked it and she didn't follow suit and throw away her music and she kept it. Well, one day she was riding around with somebody from our church, another young lady, who she was listening to a Bare Naked Ladies CD, which, if you know the Bare Naked Ladies, they were pretty awesome in the 90s, and uh, total college music, you know? And the other girl says, 
what are you listening to? She goes, well, bare naked ladies, you know? She goes, you're not supposed to be listening to that. We're supposed to get rid of all of our music. And she was like, well, no, I like this CD. And that girl hits eject, grabs a CD, tosses it out the window. And my wife was like, what the heck are you doing? You know, like, you can't recover a CD at that point. Well, you know, she ended up getting in trouble, and she had to throw away all of our CDs, which, which at one point, she started telling me all the CDs she had. I'm like, oh, man, I'd really love that CD back. You know, like, that was pretty good, you know. But that's an example of, of how it, it can get, which, ironically, it wasn't a couple months later, and, and you know, the, the guy who, you know, started that whole conviction was dancing to Rod Stewart, If You Want My Body, in his family room. So things like shift and change as, as we go along, they just become cultural type deals. So let me throw out a few more. Uh, I don't watch R-rated movies. Again, we're in trouble here. I don't have sex before I'm married. I won't get an abortion. I don't commit homosexual acts. Or the last one in my case, which hits home for me, well, we homeschool. Of course we're Christians. You know, that's a, we, me and my wife homeschool our kids, and there's, there's this mantra amongst homeschool people like, you know, if you're really a Christian, you'll homeschool your kids. You know, it's that kind of feeling, which we get that kind of pressure a lot. But anyway, this list is compiled in my head, and again, you may be thinking a lot more, but the thing that really started to stand out to me, or has stood out for me over the last number of years, is... A couple things, and I think this is throughout the last few generations, and that is either I was confirmed as a child or I prayed the sinner's prayer and therefore I'm saved. It, it seems that that more than any other two things is kind of like the get out of jail free card for most people. Like as long as you've done that, whatever, it doesn't matter anymore. I, that's like a coverall. And, and, you know, the problem with that is, as I've looked throughout the scripture, and I've tried to figure that out, and I've, and I've experienced going through that with lots and lots of people, I just, I can't find it as, as the defining factor. I can't find it in the scripture. I can't find confirmation in the scripture. In fact, how many, how many times, how many services or camps or uh, late night on TV or somebody's bedroom, ha- have I heard or thought, you know, somebody say, if you prayed that prayer with me, then you're saved, you know? And you might be thinking what I was thinking as I would say this out loud. What? Like, is, is what Paul is saying about circumcision is that circumcision is a bad thing. It's wrong now. Even though God said it a long time ago and it's now bad. Or is Ryan saying, hey, praying the sinner's prayer or getting confirmed is now a bad thing or a wrong thing? No, of course not. I, you know, it almost seems a little bit weird that Paul's hammering on, on something that he did and that is a command of God. Why, why, would, he, why would he take such a stance on this, you know? So circumcision isn't a bad thing. It's a good thing. Getting baptized isn't a bad thing. It's a good thing. Joining a church isn't bad. You know, 
sometimes throwing out your secular music, if that's what God's put on you, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing if, if, that's what you're, if that's what you feel like you need to do. You know, definitely praying a prayer or reading your Bible is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. And so, let me give you an example of this in my life personally. Okay, when I was about, when I was 19... Uh, I had gone to the U of A for the first year and a half, three semesters of college. And I decided for a long list of reasons that I wanted to move to California and uh, go to Pepperdine University. Anybody ever heard of Pepperdine? Yeah, okay. It's a Christian college, right? You know? And I, and I had this sense inside me. I had kind of walked away from God in, in a way that was like, God didn't really play much of a role in my life other than a past role because of my family. I, was, I didn't go to church. I didn't hardly ever pray. Most of my prayers were like, God, forgive me for what I did today and what I know I'm for sure going to do tomorrow. And so it was, it was like I had kind of thrown it out and just did whatever I wanted to do. But I was starting to have these feelings inside like, I don't know if I'm right before God. I don't know what it even, what does it mean to be right before God, just personally? And so I wrestled through that, and I would talk to people about God and and whatnot. But when I moved to California, now I'm away from all my family, most of my friends, and I had this sense, uh, if, you know, if you ever had that feeling, if you're from Arizona, you want to move to California, there's this sense that you're going to, like, recreate yourself into this Hollywood, you know, person, and until you go to the grocery store and realize that guy's working on a script and the guy giving you your food is just about to get his acting job. And, and then you think, oh man, everybody out here is just like me. How am I going to make it in this sea of, of people that are wanting to fulfill their dream? And the thought that kept recurring to me over and over and over again was, I don't know what it means to get right with God. And so I began to have these conversations with friends of mine that are not uh, most of them were not Christian and even wouldn't say they came from a Christian background or whatnot. And I would argue with them about God and they would have their arguments. Well, this gains so much popularity uh, that in our dorm room, we had, or in our dorm, every like five or six rooms had this center section. And we would all gather together and smoke cigarettes and, and dip and talk about God which I highly recommend if you're going to do a Bible study. Uh, everybody will come to it, and it's very loose. It, you know, everybody's very relaxed and, you know, ready to be themselves. So we would have these conversations, and I'm always the Jesus Bible guy, and then people would argue back at me about this or that. Um, but really, there was no difference between all of us, you know. But here's the thing. When you're on a Christian campus, it's and especially like Pepperdine, it's very small. And so there's only like 1,800 students or so. So it's like, it was smaller in my high school. So to get a reputation of who you are happens fairly quickly, and then you just have that reputation. So like you could be known as the baseball player or as the funny guy or as the guy who like steals stuff from the one cafeteria that you have on campus. Well, we had on our campus... Uh, this one dude who dealt cocaine. And if you deal coke on a Christian campus, you're known pretty quickly. And uh, it was Christian cocaine that he was dealing, so it was okay. It was like, you know, good stuff and and whatnot. 
But he showed up at one of our meetings. And I started to think, like, I don't know, it's just a funny feeling, like, why is this guy here? And everybody knows this about him. So even if you knew him, you wouldn't identify yourself as one of his friends. So when he came in, nobody said hi to him. Nobody talked to him. He just sat against the wall. I remember, like, sunglasses and stuff. Uh, Like, he didn't want to be noticed, but he wanted to listen. Well, in all of our arguing, he stands up at some point and and starts walking toward me with his hand in the air like he's going to give me a high five. And he goes, hey, I'm with this guy. And it was, everybody in the room was like, huh? You know, like, how could that be? And, and he goes, all you got to do, man, is pray the prayer and you're good. You're straight. You're going to heaven. You can do whatever you want to after that. And then he just walks out and he gives me five and walks out. And there was this like really icky feeling in the room. Like that's all there is to what you got, you know, like. Life is just, you know, Christianity is boiled down to one prayer, one event. It's, you know, it has no bearing on your life at all. It has no sense of, you know, it was just that feeling of like, man, you're a hypocrite. You're, a, you're kind of a liar. You know, that's the, that's the weight that I felt come at me. And as I sat in my room that night, I really was thinking like, what does it mean to be right with God? And it started to weigh really heavy. Well, as I, you know, was thinking that through, it just so happened that when you go to a Christian college, they usually make you take a religious class. Well, in my religious class, they were, they were telling, we had to read the book of Job. And so we had read through the entire book of Job, which if you've ever read Job, uh, Job isn't like, the most encouraging book that you could ever read, you know? Like, you don't pick up Job and go, what's God saying to me today, you know? Like, I can't wait to hear. It's, it's, it's heavy. And so, there's this part in Job. If you would look at Job chapter 9 with me, if, if you don't, um, it should come up on the screen. In Job 9, verse 2, Job says this, This is after his friends are kind of commanding him to repent. He says, Truly I know that it is so, but how can a man be in the right before God? It's a great question. When you're going through stuff, you know, you tend to ask yourself that question, especially especially if you're wondering all the way down to, am I even right with God? Do I do I even know God? Do I live for God? And so great question. Now If you just jump right over to verse 29 in Job 9, he kind of starts to answer this question. Uh, So read that with me. It it says, verse 29, I shall be condemned. Why then do I labor in vain? If I wash myself with snow, cleanse my hands with lye, yet you will plunge me into a pit, and my own clothes will abhor me. For he is not a man as I am, that I might answer him, that we should come to trial together. There is no arbiter between us who might lay his hand on us both. Let him take his rod away from me and let not dread of him terrify me. Then I would speak without fear of him, for I am not so in myself. At at this point, we could probably conclude Job is kind of, he's despairing to the point where he's essentially saying there's no way out. 
There's no hope for me. There's no arbiter. I wish God would just take his rod of discipline away from me and I can just die. You know, there's nothing good going on. He, he's saying, like, you know, in maybe modern vernacular, I can't say enough prayers. You know, I can't throw away enough of my secular music. I can't do enough good deeds. I can't go to church enough times. I can't get baptized in the right church. I can't, all the way down to, I can't even wash myself enough with the right soap. Uh, I, I can't cut off enough body parts in order to make myself right or clean before God. But there's one thing that he doesn't, that, that I, I disagree with his conclusion at this point, and so will he later, by the way. There is an arbiter between us and God. There, there is a mediator between us and God. It's God himself. So turn, turn back with me. We're going to finish up this scripture. Romans chapter 2, verse 29. He says, But a Jew is one inwardly. Circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. And so just, just as we said before, like at the times where uh, maybe even the Jews in the past would hang on to a sign like circumcision, it's a really like, circumcision lays you about as bare as you can be bare. God has this ability to open up and lay bare your heart and see if it's clean and circumcise your heart so that it is clean. But it's only God who can do that. Now, listen to the promise that God made at the very end of the the Pentateuch in Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. He says, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. Now, Job is at this place where he's despairing. There's nothing I can do. I, I know I was at that place. And tr- quite frankly, still get to those places sometimes where there's, there's nothing I can do. God's hand is just on me. But God has made this promise that he circumcises our heart so that we will live. And and. This can't be done by the hands of man. It's a miracle. Jesus himself has to do it. If you would read finally with me, Colossians chapter 2, if you would turn there. I think this sums it up really, really well. Verse 8 in chapter 2. That should be up there. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy an empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. 
And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. That's a, that's a, that's a really encouraging thing to know. Here's what, here's what I want everybody to think here. Is... Uh, as we take a time in just a couple minutes here to, to consider before God what is he saying to us, all of us face times and will face times, have face times, maybe are facing them right now, where we're asking the question, like, how do I get right with God? What does it mean to be right with God? Can I do it? Is there something I need to do? And usually when things hit us in life, a time of suffering, a time of... Uh, Things don't go our way. My life isn't what I thought it was going to be. This isn't working. This relationship doesn't work. Somebody got sick. Somebody died. We tend, that's when we tend to find out what are the things that we will hang on to. What culturally or belief or practice will we go to and say, this is what gives me security. And what we tend to find is we, go to, we tend to go to things that are not Jesus, just by natural inclination. And so, as we think about this, I want you to think, there's nothing, even Job said, if, our, if physically there's something, there's, there's not enough soap that I can use to clean myself. There's not enough snow that I can use to make myself clean. There's no action that I can do that will make me right before God. In fact, the only one who can do that is Jesus. He's the only one that can lay us bare, change our hearts, so that our motivation changes from, I'll do good works to make myself right before God and to show man a sign of what I did, to God has made me clean through the work of Jesus. And in response to that, I'll believe him. I'll follow him. I'll obey him. And I'll do it with a thankful heart. So let's take a moment here. Uh, Jim will come up in, in just a second and lead us in our time of response. But as I pray here, really open your heart to allow God to show you what are some things that I, that I run to that are an attempt for me to hang on to something or to prove something or put my trust in something other than what Jesus has done for me. And, and allow God to minister to you in a way where you can, you can change that. And your motivation becomes, I'm just really thankful for what God has done for me. And I'm going to put my trust into that. So let me pray for us. Father, thank you for everybody here and Thank you for being faithful to us. Thank you that your word, written hundreds and thousands of years ago, still has an effect on us. Lord, thank you that you, you speak to us in physical ways and in circumstantial ways, and even in just ideology 
But all of it leads us to our inadequacy before you and our attempts to prove ourselves or justify ourselves. But we really can just rest in the fact that you are the only one, Jesus, who, who can do it. You're the only one. It's a miracle that you can circumcise our hearts. It's not, it can't be done with our hands or anybody else's hands. We can't, we can't reach in to that place. But you've been faithful to us. You are a mediator. You yourself, God, are the mediator. You stepped in between us. Lord, I pray that that would be, that would fill us with a thankful heart. And that we would respond to you in a way that, that is freeing. That realizing you've lifted the burden. You've canceled the written code and debt against us. So that we can fulfill your actual commands to love you with all of our heart. And live. In Jesus' name, amen.